Well, as the kids make their way into the chapel, we are winding down our summer series on the parables. I think we've hit just about every one. And today we find Jesus in the depths of his ministry on earth, and he's interfacing with the disciples of his cousin, John the Baptist, as well as other various religious leaders. We are entering the story this morning at a time when John the Baptist has been imprisoned, and it seems that whatever Jesus does and whatever Jesus says, it seems to fly in the face of religious tradition and important standards of the day. You can find our text this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. It's page 885 in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the groom is still with them, can they? The day will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skin bursts, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you guys remember when our biggest concerns came down to which teacher or which friends or which electives we may or may not have gotten? Do we have the right clothes or the right bus stop, the right classroom? Is the right paperwork in order? Remember when the most stressful part of gearing up for back to school was that moment when you realized Target was basically out of every single school supply you needed? Remember when a teacher's most stressful part of preparing for a new school year was setting up their classroom? I always knew I hit a home run if there was a mobile of the solar system hung by a fishing wire from a fluorescent light. But this year, things are rough. The weight of this world seems heavier than it ever has been. It seems the Earth itself is hanging in the balance of the solar system by a thin thread. Friends and neighbors in Canton, North Carolina, have lost cars and homes and businesses. Siblings in Haiti have endured an assassination, a hurricane, an earthquake, and an overall systemic breakdown of resources and aid. Chaos, violence, oppression, and fear seem to have won the day in Afghanistan. Charlotte hospitals are full again with patients on oxygen and ventilators. But a year ago, we were not in these pews and our children were not heading off to school. We were terrified as we prayed for an end 
to the pandemic. And so we made sacrifices of community and education and worship and vocation and family. And yes, things were rough. And yes, we've lost loved ones. And yes, many in our community and our nation and our world have experienced isolation and disorientation and even trauma. No, we did not come out unscathed. And yet, we were resilient. We bucked up. We hung in there. Until recently, most of us here in worship have been able to live under the assumption that if we stay out of trouble and if we follow the rules, then things will work out. God's plan is for all of us to indeed live a long and healthy and comfortable life, but some of us may not be so sure that that's true these days. Now we're tired. Now we're forlorn. Now we're angry, which may be one reason our country seems to be stuck in a big old ugly brouhaha. This year, most of us are hanging on by a thin thread. I can't imagine things were going so well for folks in first century Palestine either. They'd been waiting too, not just for freedom from the oppressive threat of the Roman Empire. They weren't just waiting for things to get better. The average life expectancy of a Jewish male was only about 30 or 35 years. Quarantining was a major health initiative all the time. No, they were waiting for something big, something new, a Messiah, a wonderful counselor, everlasting father, a prince of peace. They were waiting for a new heaven, a new earth, which may be why Jesus used the everyday images and symbols that he did. Theologian Paul Tillich reminds us that symbols are images, gestures, concepts, things, or persons that point beyond themselves to something else. A wedding feast, a threadbare robe and a patch, wineskins and new wine. In spite of what we've been told over the years, the Pharisees were not typically shady, power-mongering bad guys. Like Jesus, they were dedicated to the God of Israel. Like Jesus, they believed in resurrection. Like Jesus, they attempted to embody the Torah in every part of their lives. And so I suspect the same was true for them that's true for us. We don't argue about things we don't care about. And perhaps the only thing worse than debating and wrestling about matters of love or faith or justice or grace is our indifference to any of it. This is true in our relationships at home and at work, and most certainly in our church and in the world. But you see, both John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees, they were hanging on by a very thin thread. They'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for God's inbreaking, for a great reckoning, for the end of times. And instead of living their lives with joy or the anticipation of hope, they were holding on to what little control they had with anxiety and with fear. And so their boundaries were tight, and they maintained their purity at the cost of those who didn't have that luxury. And instead of guiding believers, they policed them. And instead of revealing God's love, they withheld it. Instead of sharing God's promises of forgiveness and grace, they judged. And slowly, Slowly, over time, 
Their religious practices like fasting and prayer and tithing became burdensome matters of obligation and habit as opposed to expressions of repentance and gratitude and joy. It just sort of happened like a robe worn day after day. They just didn't realize how threadbare it had become. Sometimes in our living and in our waiting, we fail to realize that the fabric that knits our lives and our relationships together needs to be replaced on a regular basis. Isn't this why our 16-year-olds accuse us of treating them like 12-year-olds, and our 12-year-olds accuse us of treating them like 8-year-olds, and our 8-year-olds accuse us of treating them like babies? Just as soon as we figure out our parameters for cartoons, they get a phone. And just as soon as we figure out Snapchat, they start driving. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves struggling to let them go. One friend tells a story of a young couple needing to cross a river. They began their early years by hopping across some stones with agility and anticipation. But soon you see their neighbors gave them some fruits and vegetables and they needed a better way to cross the stream. So they built a small bridge out of twigs and sticks. It was feeble, but it supported them well enough. And over time, though, their load increased because, you see, the newlyweds, their parents gifted them with livestock. And so the original bridge could no longer sustain the load. It was growing, and so they managed to replace those twigs with boards. But soon, they had a baby. And Lord knows, those boards needed reinforcement. And so they threw some stones around the base, and that seemed to do the trick until life really started to happen. With less time, with more hardships and joys, back and forth and back and forth, more and more responsibility, the weight of things, they became overwhelming. Until at some point, the boards began to bend and rot and fall into the raging stream until they thought they just might lose it all at which point they stopped and they looked each other in the eyes and they realized they needed to put everything else down and together they began to build a new bridge together stone by stone they would move the heavy stones to rebuild the bridge our faith lives not the same as new wine ferments it expands if stored in old wineskins, those wineskins would literally crack and explode. Well, the hardened wineskins of our childhood faith is not strong enough or big enough or pliable enough to hold the sacred substance of our lives as they continue to ferment and mature. So why should we hold on to the old vessels of our faith when the only thing that matters is the sacred, living, breathing substance that they carry and protect. And all of their waiting, maybe the Pharisees were just more concerned about the wineskins than the wine itself. Maybe the Pharisees forgot what they were actually living was a life given to them by God who was living right then in their presence. Maybe they forgot that they were the ones that were responsible for their own worship and study and the maturation of their community's care. As the prophet Isaiah wrote, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. 
I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. As Elizabeth Johnson alludes, our religions die when our lights fail. With all that's happening in the world, my friends, of course we're skeptical and angry. Of course we're divided. But why do we sometimes feel so burdened by the call to Sabbath and worship? Why are we fasting in somber mourning for what is lost instead of celebrating in the light of the kingdom that is already dawning? Are our robes so threadbare? Are our wineskins so tired? Are our bridges so feeble? Is our God so small that we cannot see past the way things used to be? Is our idea of what it means to be faithful so narrow that we seem to be keeping folks away? Is our religion so worn out that we can't remember what it feels like to be in the presence of a living God? You see, when Jesus spoke of the torn robe, that Greek word is schism. Certainly a rift was growing between the religious leaders of the day and Jesus. But here's the real issue. I doubt those other leaders really cared if Jesus' disciples fasted or not. That's a debate they would have worked out. Guess where Jesus was sitting? And guess who Jesus was with when he was approached about this question of fasting? He had just completed sitting at a table full of tax collectors and sinners of all sorts. That man had friends in low places. And on top of that, at least one of his disciples was a tax collector. You see, in the name of honor and order and tradition, the Pharisees kept boundaries and protocol and the status quo, while Jesus, in the name of mercy and compassion and joy, without question, welcomed, included, honored, embraced, redeemed, and celebrated every single human being who sought a seat at his table. Wait a minute. By whose authority do you, disciples, get to change the rules? Who gave you permission to be sitting with sinners, fasting, not fasting, but feasting? What about the mistakes they made? What about their insecurities and their ego and their greed? What about the things they've said and done and thought? What about the way they were driving on 277 and the tone they took with their spouse and the assumptions they made about that homeless guy on the corner? What right do you have? What right do you have to claim joy or hope or love in times like these? Have you looked around? Have you turned on the news? Of course, there are times to fast and repent and mourn and lament and weep. But this is it. This is the good news. We don't need to convince God to show up. Our salvation does not depend upon our ability to prove how much we need God. Lord knows that has become abundantly clear. If we should pray anything right now, it is come, Lord Jesus. But it is also true that we are an Easter people, 
And it's already happening. Christ is here among us right now, and we have the unique opportunity to start each day with the knowledge of how this story ends. And that alone is reason to celebrate, even now, especially now, by God's design. Humanity is oriented to the horizon. We cannot help ourselves. We keep looking up. We keep walking ahead. We keep going. God is not simply a part of our busy lives that we must fit in. God is not an elixir that we sip on when the going gets tough. We can't sew Jesus onto our tired old robes and ideologies. Jesus is not a useful tool or concept meant to improve our lives. Our mysterious God hung the earth amongst the planets and sprinkled the stars in the skies. We are not hanging on by a thread. We are held securely in the palm of God's hand. Jesus, you see, is the fulfillment of every promise God has ever made known to us. And God hears our pleas for mercy and help. Only the living God, who spans all time, can relate to new circumstances as the future continuously arrives. Our traditions of faith cannot survive if they cannot change. We must greet every day and every breathing creature on earth, mask or not, with what we know to be true about the reality of the resurrection. And so if we claim joy, if we plan on instilling love and compassion in the hearts of our children, if we hope to order our lives according to the rhythm of God's breath, a living and mysterious God who transcends all time and space, a God of abundance and joy, then we need each other, Selwyn Avenue. Yes, we are resilient, but resilience is manifested both individually and collectively. While we can cultivate it within us, it's not simply enough to get through a hard time. Resilience is a way of showing up. It moves between us and through us in order to sustain and encourage each other. It is required if we want to live with joy. And as George Buttrick reminds us, joy is not the opposite of grief or sadness or fear. Joy, you see, is the destination through the other side of pain and suffering. Joy is held in fullness of God's tender heart. It is a faithful promise. Are we through with the hard times? Not yet. Are we without anxiety or fear or grief? No, of course not. Can we celebrate because God is right here, right now? Yes. And what comfort, what hope, and what joy is that? If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and see everything else has become new. Amen.
let us join our voices as we pray for our children. You may be seated. <laughs> Using the lit- litany printed in our bulletin. God of all creation, now you are about to do a new thing. We give thanks for every child of your creation and our most sacred calling to love, teach, and guide them into the full stature of your purpose. We pray for children who like to be tickled, who put their sticky fingers everywhere, who like to walk in puddles, who can never find their shoes. And we pray for children who stare at photographers from behind barbed wire, who've never had a pair of sneakers to run down the street in, who live in places where we wouldn't be caught dead, who never go to the circus, who live in an X-rated world. We give thanks for your loving care surrounding us on every side, teachers full of hope, partners of courage, keepers of promises, leaders of tenacity and integrity and the unity of our church. We humbly seek to fulfill our baptismal vows for the youth, children, and families of Montclair Elementary School and Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. Together, may we lead a life worthy of our calling. We pray for children who bring us sticky kisses and fistfuls of dandelions, who like to sleep with the dog, who insist on burying goldfish, and forget their lunch money, who sing off key, who squeeze toothpaste all over the sink. And we pray for those who never get dessert, who have never, their parents die, who can't find any bread to steal, who don't have any rooms to clean up, whose pictures aren't on anybody's dresser, whose monsters are real. We thank you for giving us tasks which demand our best and for accomplishments which delight us. We pray for children who hide their dirty clothes under the bed, throw tantrums in the grocery store, who pick at their food, who like ghost stories, who love visits from the tooth fairy, who don't like to be kissed in front of the school bus. And we pray for those whose nightmares come in the daytime, who will eat anything, who haven't never seen a dentist, who aren't spoiled by anybody, who go to bed hungry, who cry themselves to sleep, who live and move and have no being. May we lead a life worthy of our calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now you are about to do a new thing. Grant that we and those who love may pass through the coming school year with a faithful heart. We pray for children who want to be carried, We pray for children who must be carried. We pray for children who will grab the hand of anyone kind enough to offer it. Amen. Brothers and sisters, there are many ways in which God invites us to join God's work 
here on earth. You each have gifts to share with each other and with the world. Gifts of time, skill, ability, and money. During our anthem, we invite you to discern ways in which you can deepen your discipleship and offer it to God and the world. We also invite you to give your financial offerings through the offering plate or through our text to give number 704-734-9818. Let us offer our gift and our lives to God.
Let us continue in prayer together. Lord, as we dedicate our gifts and offerings to you, we would be remiss if we also only lifted up our prayers for your young children this day. We also ask that you hear our prayers on behalf of your children, young and old, who are suffering in Afghanistan, Haiti, Western North Carolina, and those suffering the effects of COVID, and all those who find themselves in hard situations and difficult circumstances. Be with them this day and in the days ahead. Show us how we can show up as your presence in this world. Use our offerings so that all might find the peace and mercy that you offer this hurting world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.